you're touching on a very important issue, which is healthism, right? Also, this idea that if we're perfectly healthy, oh, then we get the gold star, right? If you're always eating the anti-inflammatory diet or the, oh, then you get the gold star. If you have access to the nutritionist and the, you know, the whatever the the organic food, the juices, then you're like, oh, see, you're trying hard. And then you get to feel good in your body. That's not the truth. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect. Welcome to The Whole View. This week, we are talking body piece with Nina Manelson. Nina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stacey. I am delighted, delighted to be here with you. I am really excited because I think that what you're working on will really resonate and connect with all of our listeners who, for one reason or another, are working on being their best selves. And, you know, one of the things that I've really been focused on lately is that is as much mental as it is physical and the work that you're doing to connect that and find peace is, I think, a a critical element to feeling your best. So before we jump in, I want to remind people that we are not giving medical advice and this podcast is for general education purposes and not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. Despite the fact that Nina does have a background, which we'll talk about, you are not giving any sort of medical services on this podcast. If you do want to find Nina or find out more about her, you can go to Nina Manelson.com and her Instagram at Nina Manelson. And of course, we'll be talking about her body piece. And I know you have uh, free classes and resources and journal and all kinds of different things that people can check out, which I'm sure we'll mention. But I do want to maybe just introduce our listeners to you as it might not be something they've even ever heard of before. I think body pieces is a unique concept. And I, I love it because For so many of our listeners, we truly have been fighting a battle of chronic illness. I talk a lot about weight in terms of body acceptance, but I think when I was learning more about you and the work that you do, it really resonated with me that there's so much to, you know, chronic illness and injury and different kinds of things that happen in so many different bodies that we need to come to terms with. And especially in the work that I do as a foster parent, seeing how trauma manifests itself physically, Mm -hmm. right? So there's so many elements to how this work, I think, will connect with our listeners. And I love that you help people end the war with food and their body to feel truly at home in their body as it is. That speaks volumes to me and the mission that I have. You, Nina, is known for her deeply feminist anti-diet body peace approach and brings 30 years experience as a therapist, nationally board certified health and wellness coach, body trust guide, and a psychology of eating teacher to help women create a respectful and trusting relationship with their food and body. And your body peace work is all in service of helping people get off the diet roller coaster. I'm 
pumping my fist in the air when I read that yes. <laughs> and into a compassionate and powerful way of eating and living, which creates a positive, long lasting change in and with their bodies. You have courses, coaching and poetry, which I'm going to read a little bit of in a moment that change the conversation women are having with their body. And those body poems are a way to encourage and shift the way that we talk to and about our body. And I think of it like those post-it notes that people put up in their mirrors, like it's, it's powerful just to read it and absorb it and to think it. So I'm excited to share a little bit of this poem that you wrote. I love it because I find that one of the hardest things for me to expand in my journey of becoming my best self is truly to let go of comparison. I have loved the quote, comparison is the thief of joy for years. Um, I think it's something we all struggle with, right? It's built into society. And because it's a reminder to me of what it really does to us to compare, even to our own selves sometimes, right? Our past selves, your words really resonated with me. So I'm going to read this piece of a poem that you wrote. Am I bigger? Am I bigger than her? Am I bigger than her? I am asking, am I less attractive, less powerful, less likable, less worthy than her? If I'm bigger than her, then I'm less than her. If I'm smaller than her, then I'm more than her. And her size, and her size, and her size. My self-worth going up and down with each comparison. Scoring points in a game against myself. There's always someone bigger. There's always someone smaller. There's no winning this game. It's just reducing women to their size. Aren't we bigger than that? So I would love for you to kind of introduce yourself a little bit and share more about the work that you do and, and what brought you to it. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, Stacey, it's very fun for me to hear my poems out of somebody else's mouth because I'm often reading them. So I love how it it comes into your own voice. And there is such power when we start claiming those patterns for ourselves right? Like the pattern of comparison or the pattern of criticizing our body, right? So when you talked about this idea of body acceptance, I think body acceptance is really powerful, but sometimes it feels aspirational, right? Sometimes body love feels aspirational. Even the term being body positive, even though it's incredibly well-intentioned, can start to feel aspirational aspirational. It's why I really have settled into body peace as the work that we need as women. It's a relationship that feels respectful, responsive, supportive, connected, right? We want to have that kind of relationship with our body. It's, it's a real relationship. It's like any relationship you have in your life, they're not all like, oh my gosh, it's so awesome every single second. And we're just in romantic love and just adoring each other all the time. Like I've been working on this relationship with my body for decades and there are still days that it gets triggered because of something or I'm feeling strongly about something else. I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling angry and suddenly I'm defaulting to old messages that somehow my body isn't enough. Now, does that mean that I'm doing it wrong, that I'm not accepting my body? No, it means that I'm in an authentic relationship that has ebbs and flows. But if we can come into this place where we're really listening to what our body needs, 
and responding to her, then we have a much better chance of treating her in the way that she deserves. I love that. And I could not agree anymore. The concept of it feeling aspirational is something that I hear from people a lot. And I use the words, it's a journey, but I think that the, yes, I think that the idea of it being aspirational is, is another really great way to get people to understand that it's not like you just wake up one day and you love yourself and all the societal <laughs> pressures and culture isn't still there. It's more, right. it's, it, it, you know what it is. And I, I think maybe this will resonate with your background too, right? It's, it's kind of like trauma work. Like the trauma, it's not that the yes. trauma doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's that you've learned how to manage the feelings that you have when you're triggered or to identify yeah. that those feelings are having. And for me, that's a lot like what this body work is, right? To identify when I'm feeling bloated or when I start having those negative self thoughts, to be able to identify why am I thinking this right now? What other areas of my life are kind of triggering what I'm feeling? How can I show love and support for myself? And that takes work. It's not something that happens overnight. It does not happen overnight. And that I that concept that there are, and this speaks to what you started to talk about, is the mental health aspect, the emotional part. So my work in this arena started because I was a body worker, a massage therapist, and I literally had my hands on women every day. And what did I hear? Their body stories that it wasn't just muscles and tendons and bones. It was this journey that their body had walked on through with their whole lives. And that actually moved me to go back to school and become a therapist. I got a master's in counseling because there was so much emotion, so many beliefs, so many psychological layers inside our body. And so then I was in this journey of like, okay, how do I bring those two together, right? That, excuse me, that mind-body connection. How do I bring that into focus so that we're really having, feeling embodied, Right? We're in our body. We're inhabiting our body. But at the same time, I was struggling with all my food stuff. I was struggling with my sense of being okay at the weight that I was, at the size that I was, in the body that I was. And I was like, okay, so now I'm going to find the answer. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to, I'm going to learn about nutrition. Right? Then I'm going to fix it all. <laughs> right? But again, nutrition isn't the answer either. But it's a combination of those things, right? What we put into our body, of course it matters. Different things make us feel different ways. But also, what do we say to ourselves? What is the trauma that we're still holding? What are the beliefs that we believe about our body? And what is our body story? And it's that, I call that the nourishment dynamic, those three things together, right? What does it feel like in your body, the embodiment piece? And what are our feelings about it, our beliefs, the psychological piece? And what's our relationship with the fridge, the grocery store, the kitchen, the what's on our plate? And we need to bring all of those. We need to be in the mix of that to 
create a relationship with our body and food that feels like, yeah, we're talking to each other. We're in good terms. I feel at home in my own skin. Those are all such good points. And it makes me think about the idea that um, for those of us with a history of disordered eating, and I, when I say that, I want to make sure I'm encompassing all umbrellas, including orthorexia, which is the obsession with healthy eating to where it's actually detrimental to your health. We talked about that a couple of shows ago with Haley Staley, who had created so much anxiety within herself that, you know, her food was so reduced, she was losing weight, all this kind of stuff, right? And it was affecting her health, as well as, you know, binge disorders, which I see most often in people who have been so restrictive in dieting their life, right? Yes. That they, so, you know, this this umbrella of disordered eating is not just, for example, anorexia. And I, I right. think... And it's important, Stacey, I'm going to interrupt you, because yeah. it's important to actually pull apart two, two distinctions here, disordered eating and eating disorders. So disordered eating, those of us who are opening the fridge and going, ooh, what's, what's has less calories? Maybe I'll just eat that. Even though I really, really, really want the leftovers from dinner, what I should really have is just a salad with blah, blah, blah. That is disordered eating. That's diet culture getting in the middle of your relationship with what you want, what your body says it wants, right? That calorie counting, that, oh, what's the right eating, that orthorexic, that can be in the realm. Many, many, many people are in the realm of of disordered eating versus eating disorders, which I would put in life-threatening, anorexia. Orthorexia can move into a place of eating disorder. It's now in the DSM-5, right, to be considered life-threatening eating disorder. But orthorexia can also be a little bit in just disordered eating, like, oh, what's the right thing? I'm okay, I'm on now I'm on this plan. And every day I'm gonna juice this thing. And right, getting very into the rules, being very orthodox. That's where that word comes from, being very orthodox in your thinking around food. And so I tend to work with people with disordered eating, right? Where it's not life threatening, but it's life disruptive and it's life kind of soul crushing because it makes it not so fun to feel okay in our body where we end up walking like that poem, walking into a room and feeling bad about ourselves and not enough. So I, I no, apologize. No, do not apologize. That was... but, it, but it's an important distinction because a lot of people go, oh, I don't have a dis- yeah. eating disorder. But yes, I had disordered eating for years, right? Thinking about what your next diet is every Sunday night is disordered eating. And I would argue that culturally, it is acceptable to have disordered eating, you know? A hundred percent. I think like people might hear what you just said, which I'm so glad you interrupted me to say because it was so powerful. Like people might hear what you say and be like, what? That's, that's the opposite of what I've been hearing my whole life from everybody. What are you talking about? And I think that's the point, right, is that when it preoccupies your life and when it is about much more than health, when we're being really honest with ourselves about how much each nuanced decision that you make and every should statement that you have about the food that you consume or the feelings that you have about food, guilt, shame, even pride, 
right? Like let's, let's call out if you're, if you're feeling prideful, all of these are tied up with disordered eating in a way that I don't think that our culture fully understands yet. And I know I didn't, and it has been, you know, really eye opening for me. And so I think what is really powerful is that your background has this nuance of both therapy and nutrition and combines to inform how we can all be at peace with our body. And it's not about necessarily even, um, ideal health, right? When I, when I look at your work, there isn't a lot of like health forward. There are behaviors that help someone on a path to feeling and being their best self, which I would define myself as health inside and out. But it's not like there is a judgment on whether or not you're healthy. And I think this is another element that I've also been doing a lot of thinking on, which is the difference between who has access to these kinds of mindsets and concepts versus, right? Like we don't want the idea of being at peace in your body to only be something accessible to those with, you know, the ability to buy organic foods and, you know, go, go to a therapist because not everybody has all that access. No, it doesn't. And you're touching on a very important issue, which is healthism, right? Also this idea that if we're perfectly healthy, oh, then we get the gold star, right? If you're always eating the anti-inflammatory diet or the, oh, then you get the gold star. If you have access to the nutritionist and the, you know, the, whatever the, the organic food, the juices, then you're like, oh, see, you're trying hard. And then you get to feel good in your body. That's not the truth. We get to have a relationship with our body, a caring, nourishing, compassionate, respectful, responsive relationship with our body, no matter what, whether we're dealing with chronic illness, whether we're dealing with disordered eating, whether we're dealing with, you know, all the issues that face us. So to be in that place of saying, yes, like I want a relationship with my body that is based on where I am now, not on, oh, when I suddenly am X weight, when I have healed myself from X disease, then I get to love my body. No, yeah, we I, actually, that, mm-mm. I love that so much. And I'll take it one step further, which is to say that also in that same vein, we don't get to judge others for their health habits or yes. their lives or their choices either. And that's something that I personally <laughs> definitely am working on because I did find so much pride in those behaviors and those actions for so long. And it did make me feel like, oh, I'm a better person now than I was before because I'm doing these things, which also led to that comparison game of, so I'm better than these people who have not done that yet. Um, Well, our body, our, our culture actually gives us that model of relationship. It says, if your body is a project and you're winning at that project, then again, you get the gold star, right? I call that being in body management. We are taught two basic relationships in our culture, body hate and body shame. I'm counting that as one. 
right? Which is, I feel terrible in my body. And then, okay, I'm managing my body. See, look at how I'm eating so perfectly. Look at how much weight I've lost. Look at this, look at that. That's body management. But body management only lasts a certain amount of time because there's only so long we can be in that tight relationship with food and body. Eventually, our body goes, are you kidding me? Don't boss me. And our inner rebel comes up and suddenly we're like, wait, I don't understand. I'm, I have all this unwanted eating behaviors. I'm binging or I'm sneak eating. Like what's going on with me? Or our body just rebels and has some other issue, right? So then to say, okay, fine. If I'm at this place where I can't manage my body, then what? Then we end up reverting back to, I hate my body. Those are the two options we get in our culture, right? Body management and body hate. And body peace opens up a whole other range of relationships with our body that we were never, ever taught. I had a client once, she said, oh my gosh, I feel like I never learned this. And I was like, no, you didn't. We were trained as women to manage our body, treat ourselves like a project. Even had a colleague, she said, I help my clients by helping them manage their bodies like a project. I was like, oh gosh, please no. I am not a project. <laughs> yeah, I'm, thinking I'm a about, human. I'm thinking about all the people I know who are either on a diet or bad. Right. Like right. that's, that's how they define that's it. That's the option. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's a great I'm on a diet. So I'm good. Right. Yep. Then I'm in body management or I'm being bad. Yeah. And that I'm being good or bad. Where does that leave that? That's not a, that's not a sustainable relationship. And it always leaves us judging ourselves. And this is a really important piece, Stacey, that when we're in judgment of ourselves, when we're in body hate, when we're in body management, it is very, very hard to be an ally for ourselves. It is very hard to do the things that we know actually nourish us and make us feel good. There's studies around self-compassion that really show that the more kindness we show ourselves, the more self-compassion, the more we develop this place of this relationship of body peace with ourselves, the more likely we are to engage in behaviors that are supportive to our well-being. I'm just letting that sit for a minute because it's really powerful. I would love for you to define body peace for us. What Yeah. What is it? How what is your your one sentence, your elevator pitch? Yeah. So, a little more than one sentence, it's almost easier to switch it. What is body hate because we know that so well. Body hate is I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow. Body hate is, oh my God, I ate the wrong thing. Body hate is I can't believe this body. Body hate is nothing fits me. I hate my body, right? Body peace is I feel at home in my own skin. Body peace is I have a relationship with my body such that I listen to her messages. I respond to what she needs. Body peace is I feel like this is a good place to live. It's not perfect, right? It's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies and unicorns, but this is a relationship 
that is sustainable. This is a home I want to live in and that can I can work with and be in a in a creative, sustainable, juicy, yummy, pleasurable relationship for the duration. There was a saying I grew up, I grew up in Montreal. There's a saying, je me sens bien dans ma peau. It means I feel good in my skin, right? I feel at home. That's what we want. We don't want to feel like we're always like, oh, gosh, maybe I should cover up. Maybe I shouldn't go to that party. Maybe I should be in the back of the picture. We want to take up our space. We want to feel at peace in our own skin. I am going to be using the word juicy going forward. <laughs> Every time I look in the mirror, I'm going to be like, oh, you juicy girl. That, Stacey, what you're saying there is so powerful. That's the conversation, right? What's the word that feels authentic, that feels fun, that feels playful, that feels engaging, right? You're like, oh, juicy. Yeah, absolutely, right? There's a, a Yiddish word, zaftik. Right, it means curvy, but literally it translates to juicy. And I, when I was embracing my own body type, right, because I was raised, I was supposed to be tall and blonde and thin. I am none of the above. I am very curvy. I have silver hair, and I am not very tall, right. So when I was claiming that, like you're saying, oh, you're juicy girl, I was like, oh, you have a zoftic body. That is your body type. That's who I am. And that is powerful to claim that conversation, that positive, engaging conversation in the mirror. I love that you brought in this idea of body type because I know that it's in your 14 ways to learn to love your body. And maybe you could walk us through at a high level what that is so that someone gets a little preview as to what this journey looks like, right? Because we've said, you're not going to wake up overnight. (laughs) It's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be a while and it's going to be a process. So what are some of the things that that process entails? Yeah, that's great. So one of them is just noticing. We've been talking about that. What do you say to your body? Notice the body talk, right? Is it like what you just said, Stacey? Oh, aren't you juicy, right? That's a positive, playful, engaging body talk. Or is it, really? Those thighs, that butt, right? Notice how you are talking to yourself. It's so powerful, right? Because then it gets into, can you go critic free? Can you fire that critic voice? Be like, because really you would never treat anybody else that way. You would not say those words to anybody else, right? So part of this process is noticing our body talk, working on going critic free. And also part of that is taking off those star studded glasses, right? Like when I talked about, oh, I was supposed to be blonde and thin and tall, right? Where did I get that? Oh, I got that from the movies and the magazines, right? From all the marketing. So wait a second, let's take that away. That's not real life. Let's not buy into the $72 billion diet culture coming at us. I love love having found people who either represent how I feel about myself or like my ideal beauty standards. Like in part of this journey, I'm, you know, uh, 
we're obviously going through a list of things. And this is one of the things that I did. And the way that I did it is by no longer seeing tall, blonde fitness people all the time. Like instead focusing my time on who brings joy to my life? What do they look like? What elements of that joy do I find attractive and how can I incorporate that and see that in myself? And I remember there was, there's a woman who I follow who is a plus size woman and her entire social media is just basically showing bathing suits on how it looks on her body and encouraging other women to feel comfortable with that. She lives in Florida. So she wears bathing suits year round and she just got back from a cruise and I commented to her seeing her belly in a bikini made me happy. Like it, I got to a point where that I used to see that and I used to feel so uncomfortable in my own skin because I would see her belly. I would think about mine. I would think about the shame associated with it. And now because I've taken off these star studded glasses and I'm, I'm setting them down over here, like, nope, not, not interested in that. I can now see this woman's soft belly living her life, loving you know, every part of being on the beach and, you know, feeling sun on her whole body. And it like, it literally brought me joy. And that is not something that I could have seen or appreciated or, you know, thought positively about a couple of years ago. And it it took effort to do that. And it was not overnight. It does. You're training, retraining what you see as beautiful, right? We're giving back the perfect body expectation and we're reclaiming and redesigning what is beauty. We have been programmed what is beauty. That's why representation matters. When we see people in larger bodies and we can see like, oh, hello, human being, in a body, and we see them as beautiful, we start to be able to see that in ourselves, right? And so the definition of beauty gets expanded beyond tall, blonde, thin, right? Yeah, and I think beyond just beauty, I I would say too, acceptance, right? Because I do think that, Mm -hmm. you know, if, for example, you have a chronic illness and are in a wheelchair, seeing that representation of other people who are living joyful lives in wheelchairs will bring that for you as well, right? I think like whatever that representation is that you need to no longer, like whatever your shame element is to kind of, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, but like to put that in your face so often that it's no longer something to feel ashamed about. Right. It normalizes it. It's part of humanity, right? This is a normal human going about their day, dealing with their unique experience of what it is to be in a body. That's not, there's no less than or more than, it's just an isness. Love that. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market. We personally use their auto ship feature and I wish I had started sooner. I can find everything I need without having to run around to multiple different grocery stores. Some of the items that we love to get are the grass-fed collagen peptides. Yep, this is one of the ones that we vetted. Organic ethically sourced chocolate chunks for baking, gluten-free measure for measure flour, organic reduced sodium tamari, sustainably canned tuna, organic ghee, and other more hard-to-find items like gluten-free ramen noodle soup cups for kiddo, gluten-free glyphosate-free oats, and even cassava pasta. 
Plus, I know that I'm never going to run out of ketchup, mustard, and things like that because I put it on autopilot. And they remind you before it ships, so you can always modify the box to add things before delivery. And not only are the prices affordable, but Thrive Market carefully vets each and every item so that you can trust that if they sell it, it's probably the highest quality available. And it's all in one place. Even though they have over 5,000 products, you can find what you need easily because they allow you to filter by 90 plus different values so that you can find what works for you. For example, gluten-free, zero-waste, and BIPOC-owned brands are different search features. And here's the even better news. You know I'm all about brands that do right by people on the planet, and when you join Thrive Market, you're joining a community of 1 million members and sponsoring a family in need. And with their free and fast carbon-neutral shipping, you are also bettering the planet. Can your grocery store do that? Join Thrive Market today to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com slash whole view to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com slash whole view. Thrivemarket.com slash whole view. Hey there, if this show is motivating you to do some self-care, I want to remind you that you can still get 20% off Beauty Counter with code CLEANFORALL20 when you use an email that's never ordered before at beautycounter.com slash Toth. And throughout the month of May, I am donating half of my commissions to the charity of your choice. Choose from the drop-down menu at checkout for either ACLU, UMFS Fostering, or Everytown. Okay, what's next? Okay, so we've got notice the body talk, go critic free, take off those star studded glasses, give back the perfect body expectation. And then there's a place again of that word, that juiciness, find the pleasure in your life, be grateful for it, right? Get into the juiciness of it. It's so powerful. And in that goes wearing clothes that make you feel good right? Doing movement that makes you feel good. Where's the pleasure? And part of what supports that is stepping off of the scale, right? Getting real about our body type, right? Those things, those very concrete behaviors of saying, yep, this is actually my body type. I will never look like that person. That's not my genetics, right? Or stepping on the scale every day to say, oh, you've lost weight, thumbs up. Oh, you've gained weight, thumbs down. You should feel bad about yourself, right? It takes us out of the pleasure, out of the juiciness, out of the gratitude of any moment. The other pieces of this are listening to what your body is telling you. This is so important. I actually run a whole program on this, the Body Listening Lab. We want to be in a place where we can hear the wisdom of our body, right? Our greatest teacher is our body. She has many, 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 many things to say. And so for us to listen in versus ignore her, right? When she says, I'm tired at two o'clock in the afternoon, we're like, yeah, here's a little coffee. Here's some more chocolate. Keep it rolling. 
you know, or I hear it from nurses all the time. I don't need to pee. I only pee at the end of my shift. I'm like, okay, we got some body listening to do here, right? We have a body that has some things to say. So we want to be listening to what our body is telling us. And that has a lot to do with respecting our rhythms, our selves, right? What is your rhythm? If some people are like super early morning and you're like following some influencer and they're like, you need to get up at five in the morning and you need to do this and this and this, and you're not that person. And you're like, oh, see, I'm doing it wrong. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Your rhythms, your body, your own wisdom, right? It's your relationship with your body that we want to foster, not her relationship with her body. That's not your embodied lived experience. And some of the things that also really support that is to work on that comparison that you were talking about and finding movement that you love. That's also in that place of juiciness. So all of these things together fundamentally are reinforcing and reestablishing how to make our body feel like, yeah, I like it here. This is somewhere I can hang out. Is it challenging sometimes? Absolutely. Is any relationship challenging sometimes? Yes. Right. I often say to people when they like have no clue what the heck I do, I say, I'm like a couples counselor, except for instead of working with a woman and their partner, I work with a woman and her body. I love right? that. Yeah. We want to have a relationship that feels good. And many women I work with who talk about their relationship and we start to unpack what it really looks like. And I had a client who said this to me once. She said, oh my gosh, I've been in an abusive relationship for decades with myself. So true. I know every single woman in my life has had that same relationship, if I'm being honest. And to be fair, a lot of men too, right? Like it's, it's not exclusive to women. And I think all of these activities and mindset definitely applies to both. I think as women, we have, you know, a different kind of standard, but there are absolutely still standards and expectation for men. Matt and I talk all the time about like height being such a thing for men. And I'm like, why? Like, I don't care how tall a man is, you know, like, but it's, I think that there, that definitely exists on both sides. The one is all the toxic masculine messages of what it means to be a man, Mm -hmm. which is another whole range of (laughs) This is a whole other can of worms. But I do want to kind of like pull a thread a little bit on one of the things that you talked about in Ways to Love Your Body. The It's not going to surprise you, this idea of ditching the compare and despair. I I mentioned comparison is something that's really natural to me. So I have to fight to not do that with myself. And one of the things that I have been hearing so often from people lately is how they are comparing their current self, whether it's mental or physical, to pre-pandemic self. And not choosing to live life because for fear of, well, I haven't seen that person in two or three years and now I'm in a bigger body. Or Oh my gosh, I hear that so much. I haven't seen that yes, I haven't seen that person and now I have gray hair. Or, you know, like whatever the and now X is that's holding you back. Similar yeah. to, you know, moms not getting in their bathing suit at the pool and enjoying time with their kids because 
they're comparing themselves to other people or their, their bodies before they had babies or, you know, whatever it is. And I think what I love about your plan is that it really focuses on finding the juicy, I'm rolling with it, finding the juicy parts Mm -hmm. to love about life, right? Finding Mm -hmm. pleasure, finding joy. And you cannot do that if you are constantly stuck in this holding yourself back because of a comparison. So I I wanted just to kind of like dive into that a little bit more because I think people are feeling that a lot right now. Yes, absolutely. I'm hearing exactly the same thing. I want to dive into a concept that I coined. It's called being body current. So being body current is means I'm in this body now, not in the body I used to have and not in the body I think I should have for the wedding this summer. It's this body, right? So first of all, when we're in comparison, right, we need to name it. The, the phrase I use always use is put a sticker on it. Oh, there it is. Comparison. Like you were literally labeling it. There's the comparison voice. Then to go, okay, so this is comparison. Where am I? Am I in a past body? I'm in a future body. I am in, am I in somebody else's body, right? Am I going, oh, I should be that body or I should be the body I was, or I should be the body I will be. Okay. So one is, oh, I'm in comparison. Two is whose body am I in right now? Because I'm not right here with myself in this body. Then I come body current. Oh, then maybe all the shame comes up. Yeah, but this isn't the body I want, right? We can want what we want. You can want to be thinner. You can want to be wealthier. You can want whatever the heck you want. But this is what's happening right now. This is your current body. Now, then how do we work with this current body? So one piece, there's many, many different ways of working with that. But one piece is to go, you know what? All bodies change. That is the reality of being a human being. We all change. We change during puberty. We change during childbearing years, whether you're having kids or you're not having kids. There are body changes, right? Perimenopause. Uh, menopause, postmenopause, injury, illness, pandemic, all parts of life impact us. Aging, right? We are a constantly moving experience. Nobody stays the same. And that idea that we should be as we were is a cultural message that we got about we shouldn't age. We should stay thin and like every young movie star. That's a static being that shouldn't, that we shouldn't waver from that. And that's absolutely not true. We can't make that happen. That's not human beings. So one part is really claiming, okay, this is my current body and all bodies change. That is a fact of life. And then Okay, so how do I feel about my body? What are those feelings? Where did they come from? What is the messaging, right? Am I feeling like because I'm in this body, I'm not good enough? Who told me that, right? Then we have to start to unpack the diet culture that's become our ingrained belief about ourselves. So it gets more complex, but the place to start 
is label it, comparison, what body am I in? Somebody else's past, future, and how do I get current? And then how do I make space and bring compassion to my current body? I love that. When you were speaking, it reminded me of my grandmother and, you know, this idea that nobody doesn't age. I mean, except Jane Fonda. So that's a joke. That's that is the work of a lot of doctors. But when I think about my grandmother, I remember her soft tummy. I remember her loose skin. Mm -hmm. I remember her wrinkles. And I remember that being who she was and how comforting it was. And I remembered when I would go into her home, how much I loved hugging her and feeling her softness and knowing that that was who she was. And yes, I'm like getting tears in my eyes as I say this, because I'm realizing like, I can't, I can't be that for my children and their children's children. If I don't allow that, acceptance of those elements of myself to be loved, right? The way that I loved them in my grandmother. Never once did I think less of her. Yep. I, I definitely thought, oh, I don't want that for myself, right? Like a, a judgment or whatever, but like, I loved it in her. And now that I get older, you know, we see gray hair, we see wrinkles, our bodies change, all these things that you're talking about, because that is what happens. My grandfather used to always say, better than the alternative. And I try to remi- like remember my re- remember that for myself, but it's more than just a joke for that. It really is better than the alternative. Like I I would I would hate to miss out on the opportunity to let someone feel my body and and embrace them and all of these sort of things, whether it's my grandchildren or a friend that I haven't seen in years or whatever, because I feel uncomfortable with myself, right? Be yes. it's it's I I don't know. I just when you were talking about the future self and I was envisioning myself as a grandmother and thinking like golly, if I ever didn't want to just have that embrace and let someone feel my softness the way that my grandmother did because it was so special for me. And I will say you are the first person to make me cry in the new season. I am buckets over here. I'm (laughs) going to wipe up and I'm going to ask you the next question actually. And then I can wipe up while you do. Right. But but let me tell, let me say one thing Okay, quote to give you a moment. (laughs) Um, So my mom always says, right. We're, we're, we're lucky if we age, right? That's the truth. We're lucky if aging happens. It's a little like you were saying, like the alternative. What's the alternative? We want to be in this process of aging, of learning how to be a steward of our body as it changes through the decades right? If we're missing the experience of maturity, of aging, of becoming wise and wrinkled, then we're missing, right, to come back to the juiciness of life. There's a lot that happens, and we don't want to be obsessing about what we look like, and we don't want to be looking at the photos from years gone by and go, where the heck was I? Or why am I only standing on the side on the back all the time, right? We want to welcome 
our body, our experience into our life and live it, right? When we ignore our body, when we shame our body, we're shutting down the juiciness of life. Okay. I'm pulled together, mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I just, I've never really envisioned myself a grandmother before, and that was kind of lovely. Um, That is powerful, right? I have four children. If they don't have children, Mm. I don't know what I'll do. (sighs) I've heard being a grandmother is being better than a parent, so I'm ready. You're ready. I'm 40 years old, and I'm ready. (laughs) Not not yet. I don't want them to, not yet. Just, you know, a few years. Okay, before we wrap up, I do want to help our listeners take this next step forward. And I try to give them a way in which to implement. Instead of walking away and feeling like, gosh, I wish I could have that. It's unattainable for me. Kind of like we talked about at the beginning, right? Like this body piece thing feels impossible from where I am today. Mm -hmm. What are three actions that you think someone could take to start their path to body piece? Right. So one of the things we've talked over and over about today is we're having a relationship with our body. So we want to start that relationship. And how do we start any relationship, right? When you and I started the conversation, when we just jumped on to have this conversation, what did we say to each other? Hello. Uh, Yeah. Hello. Right. Hello. Let's start the conversation. And I encourage you right now, actually close your eyes, put your hand on your heart and say, hello. And what happens? What happens when you just close your eyes and say, Hello, hand on heart to yourself, to your body. I do this thing in the shower. I I use a body scrub Mm -hmm. and I have, if I don't use a body scrub to exfoliate my neck, I get dermatitis Mm -hmm. and I learned through that process that if I do circular motions with the body scrub on my heart, it Mm -hmm. instantly soothes me and I find myself doing deep breathing in through my nose, out through my mouth. And so now Mm -hmm. I've created a habit of every morning when I shower, like taking that extra step to do the circular motions on my heart and to have that mindfulness moment. And I'm going to add to it saying hello to my body. (laughs) I think that's a really good close the loop connection, right? Because I'm I'm anyway, that's, that's a, a moment that I have that I think is a great way to connect in some sort of way. And maybe it's not just hello, I think, right throughout this journey, it might be, you know, conversations that we have with ourselves, like today might be tough and that's okay. Or, yes. you know, like different things like that, that I think are important for us to, to talk with ourselves about over time. But Stacy, that's the power of this. Hello starts the conversation. Hello, right? How are you doing today? Oh, you're a little nervous about this. Or hello, feeling self-conscious, right? So the first, right, of these three action steps is to say hello. And the next is continue the conversation, right? What did your body say? Did your body say, seriously, you're finally talking to me? It's been decades. Or, oh my gosh, you're talking to me. I have something to say to you. Or, wow, I'm feeling really icky today. Can we stretch a little, right? Start 
with hello and cultivate the conversation because what you're doing is creating a relationship with your body. And then I want to encourage people to get support. We think that oh, just having a bad relationship with our body is just the way it is, right? Because our culture has told us there's two ways to be in a relationship with your body. You can hate your body or you can manage your body. But and so, okay, if I'm hating my body, that's just normal. And if I'm micromanaging my body and restricting my body and bossing my body, that's normal. Uh-uh. It's not. It's not a relationship we would tolerate with any other human. It's not something we should be tolerating in ourselves. And if you're in that place, it's worth getting support, just like we would ask for counseling in a relationship that was important to us, that we wanted to improve. You can do the same with your relationship with your body. I love that. I'm a big proponent of mental health and emotional health connection. And I think bringing in this conversation to it being also about the relationship that you have with your physical self is a really great analogy. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you loved this conversation with Nina as much as I did. If you want to hear more, you can pop over to patreon.com slash the whole view. It's the best place to ask questions. And if you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show. But so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button in the podcast app that you're listening. And if you'd like to connect more with Nina, which I highly recommend, you can go to bodypeacewithnina.com. You can find her on Instagram through that website and her programs, which she mentioned. Looks like you also have a journal. Can you tell us a little about some of the things that you, if someone does choose to get support, what are some of the things that you are currently offering? Yes. So first of all, I highly recommend my free journal on my website, bodypeacewithnina.com, because it's a great way to start this relationship, to move a little bit past the hello. And it's a practicing body peace journal. It's free. It's a download. You can print it out if you like. It's very pretty. Um, And it asks 20 questions that really get this conversation started. And that's what we want to do. We want to get the conversation started. And then if you're wanting support with that conversation, I have two very powerful groups that are great places to start into, which is Body Peace Seekers and Body Peacekeepers. And both of those, and they're sort of for different it's worth having a conversation with me about what might be right for you. One of them is a smaller, more intense group. One of them is a, a more a bigger group um, going through the foundations of body peace. But both of those groups will get you firmly on your body peace path. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And listeners, we'll be back again next week. the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.